Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Ethel, Episode 2 Oh, Papa is better, dear, dear Papa, cried Ethel, jumping and dancing in delight. Oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, cried Blanche. And Harry, in chorus, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, echoed Nanette. But I don't want to go home, Ethel. I stared. Then we'll go and sit down a while under the trees by the little brook over yonder, returned Ethel in soothing tones. You will like that, Blanche and Harry, won't you? A ready assent was given, and all three turned aside and spent an hour or more in the pleasant spot rolling on the grass, picking flowers, throwing them into the water, and watching them sail away out of sight. At length Nanette began fretting, I so tired, so sleepy, me wants to go home, see my papa and mamma. So you shall, Nan, I want to see them too, returned Ethel, rising and taking her little sister's hand as she spoke. Come, Blanche and Harry. Yes, I'm ready, said Harry, flinging the last pebble into the water. I want to see Papa and Mamma. Besides, I am hungry for my lunch. So am I, said Blanche. And they followed on behind Ethel and the baby sister, laughing and chatting merrily as they went. Myra met the little party at the gate, her eyes red with weeping. Oh, Myra, what's the matter? asked Ethel. In alarm? Never mind, returned the little maid evasively. Your lunch is ready, and you'd best come and eat first thing, cause I know you must be hungry. So saying, she led the way into the house and on to the dining room. They had come in with appetites sharpened by exercise in the open air, and were too busy satisfying them to indulge in much chatter. Nanette at length fell asleep in her chair, and was carried to her bed by Myra, whither Harry presently followed her. "'Has Mama had her lunch yet, Myra?' asked Ethel. Myra seemed not to have heard, and the question was repeated. "'No, Miss,' she replied, and Ethel noticed a suspicious tremble in her voice. "'Oh, Myra, I hope Mama isn't sick,' exclaimed the little girl. "'She has been looking so pale of late. She, "'She's lying down, asleep, Miss Ethel.' Myra returned with difficulty, swallowing a lump in her throat and hurrying from the room. How oddly Myra acts, and she looks as if she'd been crying ever so long and hard, remarked Ethel, half to herself, half to Blanche. But Blanche had thrown herself on the bed beside the two little ones and was so nearly asleep that she scarcely heard or heeded. Ethel seated herself in a large easy chair by the window with a book in her hand, but all being so quiet within and without the house, she too rather weary with the walk and sports of the morning, was presently wandering in the land of dreams. She was roused from her slumber by someone bending over her and softly pressing a kiss upon her forehead. Her eyes opened and looked up into the kind face of Mrs. Rogers, the vicar's wife. "'Oh, I thought it was Mama!' exclaimed the little girl in a tone of keen disappointment. "'No, dear, but I kissed you for her, your dear mother,' returned the lady with emotion. "'But why is, why didn't Mama come herself?' asked Ethel, growing frightened, though she could scarcely have told why. "'You are very kind, Mrs. Rogers, but, oh, I do want Mama. Can I go to her now?' She sprang to her feet as she spoke. 
My poor child, my poor dear little girl, the lady said tremulously, seating herself and drawing Ethel into her arms. Oh, ma'am, why do you say that? queried Ethel in terror. Is anything the matter with Mama? Is Papa worse? Oh, what shall I do? Can I go to them now? I'll be very quiet and good. Oh, my child, my poor dear child, how shall I tell you? cried the lady, folding the little girl close in her arms, while great tears chased each other down her cheeks. Your dear father has gone to his heavenly home, Ethel, and to the dear Saviour whom he loved and served while here upon earth. Do you mean that Papa is dead? almost shrieked Ethel. Oh, oh, my Papa, my dear Papa! And hiding her face in her hands, she sobbed violently for a moment. But I must go to Mama, she cried, dashing away her tears. She will be wanting me to comfort her, for there's nobody else to do it now. Oh, let me go, I must, as Mrs. Rogers held her fast. No, dear child, she said with emotion, your Mama doesn't does not need you or any other earthly comforter now for god himself has wiped away all tears from her eyes and she will never know sin or sorrow or suffering any more a dazed look up into the lady's face was ethel's only rejoinder for a moment then she stammered i i don't know what you mean ma'am ah mamma has taught me that it is only in heaven there is no sin or sorrow or pain yes darling and it is there she is now with the dear husband your father whom she so dearly loved oh you can't mean it it can't be that both are gone and nobody left to love us or take care of us blanche and harry and nan and me oh no no it can't be possible cried the little girl covering her face with her hands and bursting into an agony of sobs and tears Mama, 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 oh, I can never, never, never do without you. Mrs. Rogers drew her closer and spoke in low, comforting tones, her own tears falling fast. The while, dear child, God will take care of you and your little brother and sisters. He calls himself the father of the fatherless. He pities and loves you and will raise up friends and helpers for you. Can you not trust him for that, dear child, and be glad for Papa and Mama that they are safe with him and will never again be sick or in pain, and that if you love and serve him while on earth, he will one day take you to be with him and them? I don't want to die, and I cannot, I cannot do without my dear Papa and Mama. Well, the well nigh heartbroken child. Her cry waked the three younger ones. A trying scene ensued. To Ethel and Blanche, the memories of the next few days seemed through the rest of their lives ever like a dreadful dream. Then they were taken on board an ocean steamer bound for the city of Philadelphia in the United States of America, where two brothers of their father had settled years before. They were merchants doing a large wholesale and retail business and were known to be abundantly able to provide for the orphan children of their deceased brother. The address of the parents of Mrs. Eldon was not known to those who made the arrangements so that they were not even advised of their daughter's death. There were no relatives to take charge of the forlorn little ones on their voyage 
but they were given into the care of the wife of a soldier who was going out to join her husband in Canada, a Mrs. MacDougall, a warm-hearted, earnest Christian, childless herself, but with a heart full of love and tenderest sympathy for the sadly bereaved little ones committed to her care. She petted, soothed, comforted them, attended faithfully to all their physical needs, and spent many an hour amusing them with quaint stories of Scottish life and manners, tales that would interest and amuse, yet teach no harmful lesson. Before the good and gallant vessel had reached her destination, the mutual love between the kind caretaker and her young charges had grown very strong, and it was with a heavy heart that Mrs. MacDougall looked forward to the coming separation, the announcement of the deaths of their brother and his wife, and that the children would be sent directly to them, had reached the firm of the Eldon brothers only a few hours before the arrival of the vessel bringing them. It was a great and not altogether welcome surprise, yet their hearts were moved with pity for the forlorn little ones, and together they repaired at once to the dock and boarded the newly arrived vessel in search of them. They found them on the deck with their kind caretaker, Nanette on her lap, the others grouped about her. Ah, here they are. I'd know that little lad anywhere as poor Harry's boy, exclaimed Mr. Albert Eldon the younger of the two, with emotion, and laying a hand tenderly upon the child's head as he spoke. That's my name, sir, and it was my papa's name, too. Mama called him that, but most folks said captain when they talked to him. Volunteered the little fellow in return. Ah, then I'm your Uncle Albert, and this gentleman, indicating his brother, is your Uncle George. Oh, I thought so, for you resemble papa, at least as he was before he was taken so ill. Ethel said, lifting tearful eyes to the face of Mr. George Eldon. Do I, my dear? I believe there is said to be a strong family resemblance among us all, he returned. At all events, we are your father's brothers, and therefore own uncles to all of your you little ones, he added, stooping to caress them in turn as his brother was doing. Then the gentleman held a conversation with Mrs. MacDougall, in which, perceiving how low the children were to be separated from her, clinging to her with tears and entreaties that she would not leave them, they proposed that she should remain in charge for them for a few days or weeks, while they were becoming familiar with their new surroundings. She replied that she could do so for only a day or two, as she must embrace the first opportunity to rejoin her husband. "'I am sorry to hear that,' returned Mr. Albert Eldon. "'But do us the favor to stay while you can, and let it be at my house, for we will not try separating these little folks while you are with them, whatever arrangement we may decide upon later. Will not that be the better plan, brother?' for the present, till we have time to talk the matter over with our wives. Yes, I think so. A carriage was waiting on the wharf, in which Mrs. MacDougall and the children were presently bestowed, Mr. Albert Eldon following, after a moment's low-toned chat with his brother, and an order to the driver. He seated himself and took Harry on his knee. Where are we doing now? asked Nanette, peering out of the window as the vehicle moved on. To my house, Uncle Albert's house, little one, replied Mr. Eldon in pleasant tones. You will find some little cousins, a girl and a boy, and I hope have nice times playing with them. What's the boy's name, Uncle Albert? queried Harry. Charles Augustus, the little girl, Lenora, but they are usually called Gus and Lena, or Nora for short. 
Are they all the children you have, uncle? asked Ethel with shy look and tone. Oh, no, he replied. There are Albert and Arabella, nearly grown up, and Olive, and Minnie. Minnie is twelve, and Olive fourteen. Has they dotted Papa and Mama? asked Nanette. Yes, your Aunt Augusta is their Mama, and I am their Papa. And we haven't any. Our Papa and Mama both went away to heaven, sighed Blanche. Where they are very, very happy, dear child, returned her uncle, laying a hand tenderly on her head as she sat by his side. Then he called their attention to something passing in the street, and exerted himself to amuse them in various ways, till the carriage drew up in front of a spacious dwelling. Ah, here we are, he said, throwing open the door, alighting, and handing them out one after the other. Why, who in the world can they be? And what is Papa bringing them here for? exclaimed a little girl, leaning out from an upper window, and scanning with eager curiosity the new arrivals, whom her father was marshalling up the front door steps, and at once admitted to the hall with his dead latch key. What's that? More company coming, men? queried another voice, and Olive's head appeared beside that of her sister, just as the hack in which the little party had arrived turned and drove away. Pooh! nobody of any consequence they came in an haired hack but they were children except one woman their nurse i suppose and papa with them there i hear them coming up the stairs now and i mean to find out all about it and with the words minnie threw down her books and ran from the room olive following close at her heels they heard their father's voice coming from the nursery and rushed in there asking breathlessly papa whom have you got here and what did you bring them for these children are your little cousins, he answered pleasantly. Come and speak to them, all of you. They are the children of your uncle, of whom you have often heard me speak. Ethel here, Charles Augustus is just about your age, and Blanche might be Lena's twin. Harry is two years younger, and Annette a baby girl, the youngest of all. The greeting's over. But, Papa, where are your Uncle Harry and, and their mother? asked Minnie, more than half regretting her query, as she saw the tears gathering in Ethel's eyes. In heaven I trust, her father replied in low and not unmoved tones. There, my dears, do what you can to make your cousins comfortable and happy. I must go and speak to your mamma. So saying, he left the room. Mrs. Eldon, lying on the sofa in her dressing room, looked up in mild surprise as her husband entered. Why, Albert, she said, closing her book with a yawn, what fortunate circumstance brings you home at this unusual hour? Then as he drew nearer, what is it, my dear? Why, actually, there are tears in your eyes. Oh, half starting up, is there anything wrong with Albert or... No, he said huskily, but bad news from England reached us this morning. My brother, Harry, is no more. He and his wife died within a few minutes of each other. She had heart disease, we are told, was strongly attached to him, worn out with long and arduous nursing, and the shock of his decease was more than her enfeebled frame could bear. How very sad! I'm really sorry for you, my dear. And they left some children, did they not? Yes, four little ones, a boy and three girls, the eldest only about eight years of age. They have grandparents, probably, very well-to-do somewhere in the West Indies, but no one knows their name or address. 
So the little orphans have been sent to us. The steamship came in this morning, only a few hours after the letter was received, telling us all this, and which was forwarded by a vessel bound to a Canadian port, but delayed somewhat in her voyage, so that, starting some days before the other, she reached port only a day or two ahead of her. And you are going down to the vessel to get the children? No, we went down, George and I, at once on learning that she was in, found the little folks there all right, and I have just brought them home with me. But surely we are not to be expected to keep the whole four. Surely George and his wife will take two, as they have the same right as we to be at the expense and trouble. I think so, eventually, but just at present, while the poor little things feel themselves strangers in a strange place, it would be hard for them to be separated. So I have engaged to keep the whole for a few days, he replied. Then seeing that she looked ill-pleased with the arrangement, but I do not intend they shall be any trouble to you, my dear, he added hastily. The woman who had charge of them on the voyage will remain with them for a few days, and except when they are taken out for air and exercise, they can be kept in the nursery and adjoining rooms. Well, she sighed, returned to her book, I suppose I may as well resign myself to the inevitable. Do you think it more than their nearest relatives should do for our children? Were they so sorely bereaved, he asked? No, I suppose not, but I have given my consent. What more would you ask? Nothing more, Augusta, except that you will encourage our children to be kind and considerate toward their orphan cousins. Really, I know of no one but their father who would expect them to be anything else, she returned in a not particularly pleasant tone. I do not expect it, he said, yet think it might be as well to call their attention to the fact that the little orphans are entitled to their kindly sympathy, but I am needed at my place of business and must return at once. Good-bye till dinner-time, my dear. And with the last word he left the room. Dear me, as if we hadn't children enough of our own, exclaimed Mrs. Eldon in a petulant tone and impatiently tossing aside her book as the sound of her husband's footsteps died away in the distance. Albert needn't talk as if they were to be no trouble to me. Who else is to do the shopping for their clothes, decide how they are to be made, and find somebody to do the work? For, of course, if they don't look all right, people will talk and say we don't treat them as well as we do our own. At that moment, the patter of little feet was heard in the hall. Without, the door opened, and her youngest two came rushing in. Oh, Mama, they exclaimed half breathlessly. Papa has brought us some cousins. Nice little things, and we like him, and want you to see them, too. Mayn't we bring him in here? Oh, yes, if you only be quiet. Will you never learn not to be so noisy? Maybe some day when we're growed up like you and Papa, said Nora. Come, Gus, let's go and bring him. And away they ran to return in a few moments, leading Blanche and Harry, and followed by the nurse carrying Nanette, Ethel keeping close at her side. They were pretty, winsome-looking children, and Mrs. Eldon was roused to something like interest. She sat up and took Nanette on her lap for a few minutes, spoke kindly to the others, and asked some questions in regard to their former homes and the voyage across the ocean. Most of the replies came from Ethel, and her timid, retiring, yet ladylike manner found favor with her interrogator. You're a nice little girl, she said at length, smoothing her hair caressingly and giving her a kiss, and so are your sisters. I am pleased with Harry also, for he seems a manly little fellow, and I hope you and my little folks will get along happily together while you stay. 
There, run back to the nursery now, all of you, for it is time for me to dress. They all started to obey, but as they reached the door, Oh, Mama, cried Charles Augustus, turning toward her again. Mayn't we go down to the yard? Because I want to show cousins the pups and rabbits. Yes, yes, anything if you will go and leave me in peace, she replied with some impatience. Come along then, Ethel, and the rest of you, cried Charlie, leading the way. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. Thank you.